Hello and welcome to JP Morgan's At Any Rate podcast. I'm Meera Chandan uh, and I'm joined today by my colleagues Arindam Sandilya and Ben Shatil, uh, all from the FX strategy team. We're going to focus, uh, you know, as always, talk a bit about the dollar, but we'll keep that brief since we've been, uh, you know, I think as far as the dollar is concerned, uh, you know, been, uh, been in a bit of limbo as we've been highlighting and that really hasn't changed. Uh, but then we'll uh, shift the focus on to Asia and talk about uh, China, Japan, and the Antipodean uh, markets as well. Uh, but just a quick, uh, quick, um, you know, sort of uh, preview on what we're thinking on the dollar. Uh, look, uh, the forecasts, uh, if you look at our FX uh, year-ahead targets, still pretty much bullish on the dollar. But as uh, regular readers will know by now, um, our near-term conviction here is quite low. Uh, in a nutshell, FX markets and the broad dollar have been stuck in a limbo. Uh, you had the push and pull basically coming uh, from softer inflation sleeve on the one hand, which is pulling the dollar lower. This is a global phenomenon. It's resulting in a dovish Fed pivot, but there's a lot of inflation optimism in the price already with the markets pricing in six rate cuts for the Fed already this year. Um, the broad dollar is pretty much in line with that uh, rates move. So um, as I said, a lot of inflation optimism in the price already. Uh, but on the other hand, you still have the growth sleeve, which is um, still showing remnants of U.S. exceptionalism, uh, particularly versus the heavyweights uh, um, as the Eurozone and China, uh, where uh, growth continues to stay quite sluggish. In particular, China growth has, has uh, you know, certain growth metrics have certainly been uh, substantially softer than consensus. So we'll break that down um, in just a minute. Uh, but, uh, you know, uh, just, just touching base on euro dollar uh, to begin with, I, I'd say euro dollar, you know, we've had our bearish targets for 103 to 105 in the first half. Um, this is getting challenged quite a bit right now. We've had a bit of a perfect storm in favor of the euro. Uh, we've had energy prices uh, come down, uh, both in DTF and, um, and Brent prices. We've had a better tone in risk markets. Uh, we've had some of the European data starting to look like it's bottoming out. Um, the inflation optimism stories, of course, helping all the high beta cyclical currencies in Euro is one of them. Um, and of course, uh, the latest one is uh, with the Fed tapering announcement uh, of its QT, uh, you know, the fact that the Fed's balance sheet is likely to shrink by a smaller amount than that of the ECB is yet another factor. So certainly, um, you know, Euro dollar um, bearish view is getting uh, quite challenged here. Uh, we are, we're keeping this medium term view intact for now. Uh, on the on the expectation that U.S. exceptionalism is not really dead yet, that at some point uh, the fact that Europe is flirting with uh, with uh, a recession uh, combined with uh, U.S. Um, you know sort of still sort of growing either at trend or above is is going to start to make um, an impact on the currency pair. But for now, uh, in the near term, uh, you know, given the lack of catalyst, we have pretty low conviction around the euro dollar view per se. I think, you know, what we've been highlighting in our um, in our uh, publications instead is that the view is stronger to use euro as a funder on the crosses of so things like euro uh, stocky, uh, euro yen, um, and you know, euro probably funded carry for to the extent that such uh, you know carry um, sort of uh, candidates are still out there. At least at least a couple of them, uh, I think, still makes sense, and that's really where we're keeping our sort of euro bearish uh, view, sort of higher conviction at this point. But uh, you know, enough enough on euro and the broad dollar for now. You know, the purpose of the call today, I think, the main focus spotlight. Uh, will be on Asia. And I think let's start with China because we've had a number of uh, developments there. Um, the data that we've had, activity data out of China has been you know, mixed at best, weaker. Uh, certainly if you look at our surprise indices, 
probably one of the most negative in Asia. We had a weaker uh, print out of the total uh, social financing numbers come out today as well. Um, Arindam, uh, you know, dollar CNY has ground higher and you've also turned uh, more bearish on the RMB this week. Uh, what's changed there? Um, can you walk us through this rationale? I mean, uh, yes, I think you've described the uh, state of macro sentiment on China fairly well, uh, in addition to the activity numbers that you flagged, deflation in China continues as well. Uh, no surprise that uh, equity markets in China that are closest to the uh, growth sentiment story have started the year on a soggy footing. The best that we can say for foreign equity flows into China is that they have stopped bleeding in the way that they were uh, most of 2023. Uh, but money isn't coming into China through the equity channel um, uh, either. We have seen some foreign bond investors come back into China, but we'll see how long that lasts. Uh, I'd say that uh, in terms of the um, incrementally bearish turn on CNY that you flagged in your comments, uh, two or three things are at work. Uh, first, I think, uh, like most of the market, we were a little cautious about being too bearish CNY into the end of the year and going into the Lunar New Year in uh, in early Feb, because uh, this seem, tends to be a seasonally strong period of uh, export conversion flows uh, that are dollar selling, CNY buying in nature, and it tends to be a seasonally strong period for CNY, therefore. Uh, well, it's been an unseasonal start to the year, let's put it that way. Uh, CNY has not been strong, despite us having been through more than half of that um, seasonally strong uh, export conversion period. Uh, anecdotally, we hear that uh, exporters are not converting as much as they normally do in light of still wide uh, US minus China yield differentials. Um, the second thing that's happened is um, uh, PBOC fixing policy has incrementally shifted a little more in the direction of allowing more CNY weakness. Um, so if you recall, uh, last year, PBOC was continually fixing dollar CNY lower, and the messaging to the market was that they do not want to see CNY weakness. Well, what we've seen in the last several days is that uh, the relentless march lower in the fixings has stopped, and we started to see an incrementally uh, higher level of fixings. We have stabilized above 710 for now, and the market is looking at that and saying uh, maybe the central bank here is a little more permissive of uh, weaker effects and they do need some combination of lower rates which have actually slid quite sharply this year plus weaker effects to generate easier monetary conditions that are required to uh, foster better economic growth um and uh finally you know as, as far as uh, market views go we are also mindful that uh, as we get closer to the lunar new year there will be a pickup in outbound chinese to tourists from china into uh, other parts of Asia. Thailand is usually a favorite destination. And as a result, we feel like uh, there's a pocket here for seasonal flows to turn from you know, traditionally positive towards a little more challenging. And I think all of those reasons are contributing to this uh, incrementally more bearish take on the on the RMB. Thanks, Anandam. And you've, uh, you've changed your dollar CNY forecast as well. Could you just shed some light on that? Yes, I think uh, most of our dollar CNY forecast change is a catch down in uh, the market price action in US yields, as well as the uh, change in our uh, Fed call uh, that incorporated one more Fed cut, as well as a slightly uh, earlier start to the Fed easing cycle. Recall that our old forecasts were all before the big uh, December pivot from the Fed. And this is more of a mark-to-market exercise than anything else. Uh, our expectation still very much is that as we get through the course of the year, um, 
you know, uh, the dollar might soften a little bit once the Fed cuts get going, but that's a backloaded second half story. But right here, right now, I think some of the issues that are keeping the dollar stronger than many people thought are going to dominate. And therefore, we see dollar CNY somewhere in a 715 to 725 sort of range for most of H1 before starting to glide gently lower towards 710. But I do think that even if we enter into a period of uh, trend dollar weakness, just given the growth story in China and the need for authorities to have uh, weaker effects play a part in the economic recovery story, China is probably going to lag uh, most other currencies in that process. And therefore, that supports the uh, the view of a weaker CNY basket against trade partners. Uh, so it's more a basket, uh, more about the basket than about dollar CNY, it seems. Um, but let, let's uh, shift the focus a bit to the antipodians. Um, you know, that we've got the Australian inflation data this week. Uh, we've got the New Zealand uh, print coming up as well. Uh, what are the what are the views going forward uh, on Aussie and Kiwi dollar? I mean, yes. Uh, so I think in terms of uh, incoming information, uh, what we learned this week is that uh, Australian inflation is going to remain persistently above the uh, RBA's comfort level for a long enough period of time where possibly the central bank cannot move for most of 2024. I mean, in terms of the uh, data that came in, um, the headline rate is moderating, as is the case everywhere else in the world. But the internals are what, what are worrying. There are several services categories that are... Uh, actually accelerating. And uh, we think that RBA, therefore, is going to be a late cutter amongst the G10 uh, cohort, uh, which is why even in our year ahead outlook last year, uh, we said Australia is going to be a relative beneficiary of this uh, relative central bank sequencing story, especially vis-a-vis New Zealand, where the central bank is faced with a very different set of growth and inflation challenges. A growth we've always been saying that um, is is probably on a weaker footing than the RBNZ is giving it credit for, given that the mortgage resets are going to hit sooner rather than later. But in terms of upcoming catalysts, uh, the, the thing to watch is uh, New Zealand CPI in about two weeks' time. Uh, the high-frequency data that uh, we are tracking is already looking soft. Uh, this would follow up on the significant downside surprise in the last GDP release. And, uh, you know, we all um, talked about the Fed pivot in December quite a bit uh, last month. I think uh, down under the, the pivot that investors are focused on is from the RBNZ. We feel like one might be forthcoming in February and uh, our bearish Kiwi views are uh, going to get some joy from that sort of pivot. So something certainly to watch going forward. Okay, thanks, Arundham. Um, let's let's uh, talk about Japan now, Ben Shatil. Um, dollar yen's had a pretty big move over the holiday period. Um, what's the bias going forward? Uh, what are the main drivers so far? And you know, speaking of drivers, do Japanese flow uh, matter at this point at all? Thanks, Mira. Okay, um, yeah, I mean, as you said, we had a, a fairly big move in in the pair. You know, we got close to 150 towards the end of last year, back down to 140. We're now back up to 145. Look, I, th- I think it's a mistake to think that Japanese factors have be- been behind all of that move in the yen. Um, clearly, the, the biggest force has been the one that you talked about right up front, which is shifting expectations over a soft landing, um, how the Fed is going to react. And probably even more importantly for the yen or for the dollar yen pair, you know, the timing of, of, of those cuts from the Fed. But I do think we have seen some important developments in Japan as well, um, probably most significant of which have been, you know, expectations around the BOJ being pushed back, um, particularly for the Jan meeting. You know, if you'd asked me a couple of weeks ago, what was the probability of some kind of event happening at the policy meeting this month? 
you you might have said 10 a bit above 10%. That's close to zero at this point in time, I think. So where does that leave us? Um, I guess I'll make two quick points. The first is that, no surprise, um, we're still looking for yen outperformance this year. That really reflects a view that, look, we're getting into a rate cut cycle in terms of what the Fed is going to deliver. At the same time, we have BOJ on the move in the opposite direction. That inflection in policy cycles should be supportive for, for yen outperformance, for yen appreciation. But I think the second point is that, at least in the near term, you know, there is an argument that the market has priced too much for the Fed over the next you know, meeting, couple of meetings. And I think the risk is that if rate cuts get taken out of the price eventually, we could see a bit of near term, you know, if you want to call it tactical upside on dollar yen. And I guess on that point, if you assume that all of the cuts currently in the price for, let's say, the next four or five months are taken out, um, you know, what does that do to dollar yen? Probably puts fair value at somewhere close to 150. So that's about, what, five yen higher than, than spot. Um, on your, your kind of your final point on the, the idiosyncratic, the Japanese flows, I, I guess the way I'd frame this is, is, is as follows. So, you know, my view for a while has been that, you know, a slow moving Bank of Japan is basically going to mean a couple of things. Um, it's going to mean stickier inflation in Japan, stickier than at least the market expects. And by extension, it's, it's going to mean real rates say stay, you know, pretty negative or seriously negative, if you like, in terms of, of where they've been in where they are in Japan versus where they've been in the past. So the question is, if you if you've got that sustained period of negative real rates, can you get Japanese households starting to shift their assets out of cash and into something like U.S. equities, other foreign assets, and can that flow then become a bearish yen flow, a yen selling flow? So. I think at this point, you know, we can say a couple of things. Uh, the first thing we can say is that we are seeing demand, Japanese demand, retail demand for overseas assets pick up, um, you know, whether that's via an expansion of the household savings account scheme, that the NISA scheme, or whether it's outflows into life insurance products that have an underlying foreign asset component. So they're linked to something like U.S. Treasuries. The second point, though, and then this is kind of the relevant point for thinking about the yen, is that when I look at dollar yen performance during the Tokyo trading session, which, you know, at least to some degree is, is capturing those Japanese flows, we're not seeing very firm evidence or very firm signs that those yen selling flows are large enough to translate into some kind of support for dollar yen. So in other words, dollar yen is basically flatlining through the Tokyo hours. Um, and all of the action, or at least most of the action, is taking place in, in the London and New York trading sessions. So I'd say, it, you know, this is still early days, but watch this space. And I think the risk is that, that those Japanese flows do materialize and do eventually become a bit more of a support for the pair. Uh, that's interesting, Ben. Um, so let's talk about the upcoming BOJ meeting on Jan 23rd. Um, what is the expectation now going into it? It sounds like it's going to be more of a non-event, but... Is there any chance at all that this could be a catalyst um, uh, for any kind of movement dollar yen? Yeah, I mean, I guess it was never our baseline that the BOJ was going to kind of spring into action this year in terms of, you know, suddenly removing negative interest rate policy and, and going into some kind of, you know, rapid rate hike cycle. So we've always thought that a patient Bank of Japan, you know, we've got them exiting negative rates only in the middle of this year. That kind of gradual um, policy sequence would only be a modest support for the yen at, at best. So 
I guess that's kind of the, the framework or the backdrop that we're operating in. Um, what are we expecting for the Jan meeting specifically? I think a couple of things, possibly a change in forward guidance, although that's you know by no means a given. Um, potentially a bit more of a neutral tone from Ueda, but obviously the, the earthquake that we had uh, you know, 12, 13 days ago is, is potentially going to um, you know, make him a little bit more cautious in terms of becoming incrementally less dovish. Um, so if we're right on that, and, and as always, that's a big if, uh, in other words, no big fireworks this meeting, I think the bottom line is that we shouldn't see this as a major catalyst for thinking about the yen. Having said all that, it is fair to assume that the BOJ is on the move. And even if the Jan meeting itself is not where we get that inflection, and I, I don't think it will be, um, it is right to think about the BOJ slowly moving to exit negative rates this year. And as I said, you know, right up front, I think that that forms one kind of moderate but, but gradual support for the yen, um, certainly into the middle of the year. Right. Thanks a lot, uh, both uh, Ben and Arindam, for sharing your thoughts. Um, and thanks for joining us today. More details are available on jpmorganmarkets.com. This communication is provided for information purposes only. Uh, please refer to JP Morgan Research Reports related to its content for more information, including important disclosures. 2024 JP Morgan Chase & Company, all rights reserved. This episode was recorded on Jan 12, 2024.